It's Friday, August 24th, 2018. It's The Gist. I'm Stephanie Fu, sitting in for Mike Pesca. So here's a fun fact. I'm the first Asian woman to guest host The Gist. So I thought it would be appropriate this week to talk representation. Specifically, representation in film. Specifically, specifically, representation in Crazy Rich Asians. I've been talking in public about Crazy Rich Asians for a couple weeks now. I wrote an essay in Vox about my experience seeing the movie. I've even been on a couple of shows talking about it. And yeah, maybe I'm saturating the market, but also, I don't really care. There are a lot of journalists and personalities who are the resident experts of things that they happen to have a lot of personal investment in. Jewish writers get to comment on all things Jewish. White writers from the heartland get to comment on heartland things. Who knows when there will ever again be a big-budget movie or pop culture reference that is set in the country where I was born, Malaysia. It's never happened before, and it might never happen again, so yeah, I'll milk that for all it's worth. Anyway, since I've done it before, I won't go into my feelings about crazy rotations too deeply, but suffice it to say, I cried throughout the entire movie, from 10 minutes in. From the second I saw the words, Wow, so many Rachel Chu's la on screen, to the end, where a random woman yells, Hallo, kuai tian, kuai tian. It was the first time I'd seen myself on screen, and it was a tremendously validating and cathartic experience. It taught me that my viewpoints, my history, and my culture are valid, both as a Southeast Asian and also as an Asian American, a chimera of the best of two cultures. And I saw it all because of my good friend, Kat Chow. She's a reporter on NPR's Code Switch, and she's also one of my closest friends. We also watched Crazy Rich Asians together. Mm -hmm. You took me. Thank you. I took you. We went to a showing that was in Chinatown at this very uh, kind of fancy theater where they served basically General Tso's chicken after. But they called it chicken a la chinoise (laughs) to make it (laughs) as fancy seeming and inaccessible as possible. Yeah, it was pretty good, though. I liked it. And Kat and I, when we were sitting there waiting for the movie to start, we were both terrified because we had the rep sweats. So the term rep sweats was coined by this comedian, Jenny Yang, right around the time that Fresh Off the Boat was coming, you know, on the radar. And it was this idea that we're sweating it out because we have so few opportunities to be seen that there is so much riding on this one thing. And there's so much pressure for it to be really great and for it to be everything for us. It's basically that concept where you have a really unfair burden on a piece of culture. And given the circumstances, fair enough. You've probably heard that Crazy Rich Asians was the first American big-budget studio movie with a mostly Asian cast in 25 years, which is not a lot of representation. So it does make sense that when a big movie like this did come out, we got anxious about it being just right, of it representing us fairly, of it doing well enough at the box office to inspire Hollywood to invest in more films about us. But Kat had a counter-argument for that burden— Fresh Off the Boat. It's the ABC Family sitcom about the fictionalized life of Eddie Wong, the celebrity chef who wrote a memoir of the same name. And a lot of Asian Americans have really complicated feelings about the show. Even Eddie Wong called it an ambiguous cornstarch story about Asian Americans resembling Mugu Gai Pan. He said Randall Park was neutered, Constance Wu was exoticized, and young Eddie was urbanized. I like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the type who likes cheesy family sitcoms, though. And so I and there's find a lot of really criticism. About there's a ton of criticism about it. Some of it quite valid. Like, I have a really hard time watching it. I mean, I actually think that it's pretty good. I was watching a bunch of it in preparation for this. But 
And also, I really like cannot deal with how bad Constance Wu's Chinese accent is. She doesn't have a Chinese accent. Yeah. And Randall Park isn't Chinese. Yeah. I can see <laughs> where the criticism comes from. But I think the thing that about like the thing about Fresh Off the Boat is that it might not be amazing. It might not be wonderful. I mean, I like it, but it still spawned the careers of so many interesting actors right now. Where I mean, Constance Wu's career is taking off. Randall Park, he was in that 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 movie. <laughs> what movie was it? It was really Daniel. Do you know what this movie is? The Interview. Oh no! So cat. I'm not saying that The Interview was a good movie, mm. but I'm saying that it is a movie that I'm not sure that Randall Park would have been cast in had it not been for Fresh Off the Boat. I don't know. Hmm. This is, I mean, I know I'm putting a lot on this one show, but I think that things like Fresh Off the Boat, things like Crazy Rich Asians, they have this capacity to elevate the the work of artists and people who we might not see otherwise. So seeing Crazy Rich Asians was like seeing all of these Asian superheroes in a room. And there was something really special about that. Like Constance Wu wouldn't have this major role in this film as like a sexy young funny actress which is really interesting because she's like this frumpy mom right and fresh off the boat and aquafina is basically this is like her breakout role so just the fact you're sort of saying that like despite what you think about my vag or fresh off the boat or the interview the fact that these people are putting themselves out there and making themselves available there shouldn't be as much pressure on whether it's good because as long as it exists in the world it creates a space for more people to be creating and for those people to elevate their careers step by step and yeah. like get to the next level yeah. for us to like all of our good Asian actors would have would need to start doing crappy roles. They have to start somewhere. Luckily, regardless of how valid the sweats are, we didn't really need to have them in the first place with Crazy Rich Asians. It was awesome. Gut wrenching. Hilarious. We've both seen it twice now. But even then, Cat wonders. Is Crazy Rich Asians being good enough? Like when you and I were walking out of the movie theater, I remember thinking sort of really earnestly inspired to create more. But now that feeling after a couple of weeks, it's starting to go away. Oh, no. I'm starting to feel cynical again. Don't. Oh, cat. I know. And then I remember a few years ago, I made this timeline of TV sitcoms featuring families of color. And you saw this period where I think in the 80s, you saw this wave of sitcoms and then in the 90s. But then it Mm -hmm. all started to recede where like between the 90s and then the 2000s and then until like fresh off the boat, you didn't have any Asian American sitcoms. You had you had shows Mm -hmm. like the Bernie Mac show and right other and you ones had like the one that. asian adopted girl in modern family <laughs> <laughs> you had that i don't know if that counts no no but i guess like there's always this fear that it will recede and i start thinking about the history you know the past few decades of pop culture and asian americans or pop culture and race and then i guess i start feeling like man you can't really change humanity but or you, you mean like tribalism and racism and xenophobia in general? Yeah. But then I guess if you think about the demographic patterns of this country, maybe. The interesting thing is that like we we actually have power that our parents didn't. Right. Like you and me are sitting in front of these microphones right now and we are on the gist and we are like getting to broadcast our voices collectively you and me broadcast our voices to millions of people every week which is something that our parents didn't not necessarily have right and so we do actually have some impact on whether these narratives get to be told and get to exist in the world that's true 
I feel so empowered. I feel like I just went to a session of therapy. <laughs> this is great. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Kat. What else are girlfriends of color for? After the break, I'll be talking to another brilliant girlfriend of color, B.A. Parker. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told uh, an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where I uh, got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're back. So it's clear how important Crazy Rich Asians was for Asians like me. But I wondered, is it valuable for non-Asian audiences? That's why I talked to my friend B.A. Parker. She's also a writer and radio producer, and she used to be a film professor at Morgan State University. She's been geeking out about films for a long time, which is actually the reason why she also loved Crazy Rich Asians, even though she isn't Asian. She's a black woman. Okay, so here's my experience with, like, Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. There were moments of cultural specificity that I didn't get. Mm. And I was very excited about that. Yes? Like I what? Was. Tell me. Tell All me. right. Okay, so there's a scene where there's, like, a texting exchange on the screen. Yes. And there's a word that comes up. Alamak. Yeah. And everyone in the audience is laughing. Really? Yes. And I did not get it. <laughs> I was like, what is so funny? And you read my article already, too, before you went in. Yeah, I <laughs> so was reading it. But I was like, <laughs> wait, I don't get it. But like, yay. But I love Why it. did you love that? I love when like there's a cultural specificity for a person's specific culture. Like, it doesn't have to be for me. I think a lot of people wouldn't like that because they would feel left, left out. out. But not everything is for you. <laughs> is Crazy Rich Asians just for Asians? Who is it for? I think it's for Asian people. Yeah. Which is which I think is good. Is that the impression that you got watching it is like, oh, this is for Asian people? Yeah. Huh. Cause the thing with Black Panther was like it's for black people, but there's still a white transplant in the middle of the movie for like the comfort of white audiences. 
So with Crazy Rich Asians, it was like, this is our culture. You could take it or leave it. And like that, I really did. Parker and I had a disagreement a while ago about who we make our work for. She told me she wants to make stories about Black people that are for Black people. And I said, I want to make stories about Asian people that are for Asian people and everyone else. And there was this one moment in our discussion that really illustrated why. I remember when they did like the food sequence of like all I'm eating. Yeah. I felt like I was in it. I was like, I want to <laughs> hang out with these folks. Oh, I don't even know what most of this food is. I know I want it. Like, I felt like I was with them. Also, like, cause this was a thing that endeared me. Like, it was like, oh, black people and Asian people are kind of the same because we call everybody auntie, too. We do. Because <laughs> I've called people in Harlem auntie. I was like, how you doing, auntie? <laughs> yes. As different as our cultures are, I was born in Malaysia. Parker was born in Baltimore. By watching each other's films, we learned about how much we had in common. We both teared up during the ancestor scene in Wakanda. I told her how seeing the first shot of Wakanda in Black Panther made me tear up, too, because you so rarely get to see images of Africa as a thriving, high-tech metropolis, just as you rarely get to see images of Southeast Asia in that way. And I was excited that as much as Crazy Rich Asians was for Asian people, it also was entertaining and fun enough to introduce elements of our culture to non-Asians. And another important part of learning about each other's cultures, the ability to have a dialogue about elements we found problematic. Aquafina's black scent stresses me out. Does she have a black scent? Yes. Huh. It's, okay. All right, I want you to pitch it so, like, sometimes, because her character, like, just, like, when she does rap, when she talks, she kind of gives you, like, an Iggy Azalea meets Medea kind of thing that some black people aren't receptive to. And so, like, when you're in a theater full of Asian people laughing at that accent, Sometimes it made me cringe. I could totally see that. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't the best. I know that she's like the comic relief and everyone loves her. That's really interesting because every time I've heard Aquafina, like she used to have her show talk, mm-hmm. uh, which was like just a YouTube show where uh-huh. she would interview celebrities. I always used to love it because I felt like she had sort of a fobby accent. What is a fobby accent? Oh, my God. You guys don't know what a fob is? Fresh off the boat. I find, I have found, historically, Aquafina's accent to have a twinge of Asian accent in it. And that has made, I used to watch talk, like, alone in my bed late at night because it made me feel at home because I was like, oh, she sounds like the people that I grew up with. Which, you know, the people that I grew up with absolutely may have been co-opting a black accent to be cool, which is, you know, that's a whole nother story, which is problematic. But yeah, that, that's I'm just surprised to hear that because we hear we're totally hearing completely different. We're hearing ourselves in very different ways. Yeah, it's an important conversation to have. What do we share and how should we share it? Are there things that we shouldn't share? And I don't know if Parker and I would have ever had that conversation if the fobby black scent I grew up with hadn't somehow made it to the big screen. Crazy Rich Asians made $35 million its opening weekend. It's easy enough for people to accept the movie now. After all, it's just one movie. But I wonder what will happen if, when, more movies about Asians and starring Asians are greenlit. What will happen when more Asians are cast in parts that could have gone to anyone? 
I've seen people write into NPR complaining that they're angry because the announcer referenced Tupac without explaining who that was. And I think once we begin to take up space, these angry people will be angrier. And to them, I say, remember the value of these conversations. In this space, even with discomfort comes the opportunity for new discussions, new cultural connections, new avenues to share. After all, we people of color have been watching and talking about movies that weren't made for us our entire lives. And take it from us. It's easy. You'll get the hang of it. And now, the spiel. After I started talking about my experience with Crazy Rich Asians in public, about how momentous and inspiring it was to see myself on screen, I started to get messages from white Americans apologizing to me, telling me that, quote, it's clear America has failed you. I'm not kidding. Two people used that language, that America had failed me. Hollywood had failed me, maybe. TV had. But America? America fed me and clothed me. It gave me Oreos and Magna Doodles. I grew up in a community where I never felt unsafe because of my race. San Jose, California. America gave me a very good man that I fell in love with. I grew up to work as a producer on a radio show called This American Life, for God's sake, where I have the right to exercise free speech and can report on anything I want without worrying about being locked up or silenced. I owe America everything, and I am grateful. My friend Danielle Alarcon once told me, nobody loves the United States like an immigrant. And a few weeks ago, I feel like I learned what he meant. It was when I posted something on Facebook asking my white friends whether they'd ever seen themselves or their families in movies or television shows. Their response was a resounding, no. Maybe they had a single mother and they didn't see enough of those. Maybe their parents always fought and families on TV were so functional. They saw Chicago represented but not like their specific suburb in Chicago. And I felt sad about this, about this sense that even with such abundance, with movies full of people who talked just like them, eating foods they ate in cities they were from, in schools just like their own, that white Americans still felt such a lack. To me, it was like they felt deprivation in a Costco. In immigrant households, our very real deprivation is often not dwelled on. It's a fact of life, an errand to turn nothing into something. To stretch a dollar in a hundred creative ways. Washing and saving your Ziploc bags. Trekking to the Asian grocery store where cabbage only costs 30 cents a pound. Decorating school projects with careful, beautiful rosettes of pencil shavings instead of buying glitter at the craft store. So when you're not used to getting much, shamefully inadequate representation can seem thrilling. Look at how excited we Asians are over this one movie. How I can't shut up about it. Look at how frantically we're clamoring over the Yakult cameo and all the boys I've loved before. For immigrants, this small bone we've been thrown can be the thing you stretch like a half pound of pork over two family dinners. It can be the thing that keeps you working your ass off in America, that gives you just enough hope that you might have a place here. So yeah, deprivation gave me gratitude for this movie and for everything else. But also, I'm not just an immigrant. I'm an Asian-American. And in this way especially, America didn't fail me. It spoiled me. It taught me in all its entitlement to never be satisfied, to hunger for more, 
to eat all the samples in the Costco. It gave me the courage to make sure Crazy Rich Asians is not the beginning and the end of this movement. It gave me the courage to become a talented radio producer and take over Mike Pesca's show, flooding it with young women of color. It gave me the courage to take up space. And that's it for today's show. The Gist was produced by Daniel Schrader and Pierre Bienname, and Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Umpru Deperu Duperu, and thanks for listening. <laughs>